Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole Bennett. Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. Our guest today is the delightful and entertaining and energetic Amy Lang. She's been a sexual health educator for over 25 years. She's the founder of Birds and Bees and Kids, helping caregivers have important conversations with kids. And she's the author of Sex Talks with Tweens, What to Say and How to Say It. So often we hear from our listeners, okay, 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 I know what I have to say, but how do I say it? And we really think that this episode with Amy is going to give you lots of wonderful ways in to the conversations with kids about complex and important topics. Amy, our listeners have heard about this a lot from us, like they might even be sick of it. But just like it's easier for kids to hear stuff from another source, adults also need to hear things in a new way from a different voice. So we want to start with, how does talking to kids about sex help keep them safer and healthier? That's a great question. And it's something that people don't understand and don't have top of mind when they think about, you know, talking to kids about sex. So there's the obvious stuff, right? The more informed a person is about pregnancy and STI prevention and consent and all of that, the better they're going to do. And one of my beliefs is that our job is to prepare our kids for life and, of 
course, for being sexual beings and having relationships and all of that stuff. So one of the things about talking with children about sexuality, especially from an early age, is that, yeah, it takes care of all that. Well, you know, fingers crossed, it takes care of all that, other, that stuff. But the piece that people don't know is that kids who are well-informed about sexuality and have open communication with a trustworthy adult, they're safer from sexual abuse. And when I started Birds and Bees and Kids, I didn't know that. And then once I read that and learned that, I was like, all right, I'm all in. I am all in. And the reason it keeps them safer from sexual abuse is that when you talk with them, you can be really clear that, you know, sex is for something it's for later in life. You can talk about body boundaries, safe touch. You can say things like, you know, it's not okay or safe to share your, you know, your private body parts, your penis, your vulva with other people to show other people for you to touch somebody else's, you know, penis or vulva or whatever. And you want to establish that there are boundaries and that sex and sexual stuff is for later in life. I don't say and for marriage, I don't give a number because I personally don't believe that. And as we all know, I'm guessing, you know, you might've had sex once or twice in your life and you got busy, like when you got busy, right? <laughs> so just even just the tiniest thing, like using the correct names for private body parts is protective because if you're having dinner and you know you got your four-year-old and it's like you know I just was talking about it, we had 10 people for dinner and if there had been a four-year-old and they had said my vulva itches at the top of their lungs like they do and there is someone who's a creepster they're going to note that that child knows the correct names for private body parts and they're going to be less likely to pursue your child and I think that part of our problem is that we get so hung up in the penis and vagina business and like the worry about pregnancy and all that, that we don't think about it in a rational way. So for me, that is one of the biggest things like open communication equals safety. And they're going to talk to you. One of the things you're so great at communicating is yes, for the four-year-old who knows their body parts, it's protective. For the 14-year-old who is open to having conversations about all of this, it is protective, right? It is protective in that the adult predator clocks that the kid knows. It is also protective in that if something happens to that kid, they have the language and the relationships where they can have the conversations, right? Right. They'll feel safe, right? To tell you, right? They'll feel safe to tell you. That's right. One of the things, Amy, that you just mentioned was private parts. Then I find it really interesting in your teaching and in your writing that you list the mouth as a private part. Can you talk about that for a minute? Yeah, so this is a tough one. Mouth is a private part of the body. And, you know, we just need to think about sex and all the different kinds of sex that people can have. And so oral sex is sex. And so that happens with the mouth. So you do need to add that in as a private part of the body in the same way that you do all the other parts. And it's true and it's hard right? Like it's, you can think about the down there business, but thinking about kids being assaulted in that way or partaking in that, right, is harder. So they need to know. And, you know, of course their whole body is private, right? Mm -hmm. Their whole body is private, but we need to be specific about the parts that are involved, generally involved in sex. So (laughs) we just did an episode about porn one of what will become many episodes about porn, because as you well know, it is such a complex, layered, ongoing conversation. 
But we love and so appreciate your advice and guidance on how to address the issue of porn specifically with the tween audience. It's so awesome. Let's start with your like general advice and scripting about how to approach the topic with tweens. So ideally, they already know what sex is, right? That makes things way easier. And even if they don't at this point in time, they have to know what it is because they are going to see it. As y'all know, no one escapes childhood now without seeing it. I don't care how careful you are. Someone's going to show them porn on their phone. So the ideal time, you know, they got to know about sex. So ideally that's out of the way. Let me ask you, Amy, when you give kids a definition of sex, let's say we're talking about a fifth or sixth grader, right? And you're doing your kind of like, hey, remember we had that conversation about sex. Sex is fill in the blank. What would your sentence be? Because I have a feeling it will be similar but different to how we might define it. So I would say to a kiddo that sex is something that people agree to do. It's a way they share their bodies. Oftentimes they're using mouths and private parts. When people generally say sex, what they often mean is penis and vagina sex. People do this because it feels good to their grown-up bodies. There are other kinds of sex. There's sex that's called anal sex, where people put their penis into somebody's anus. There's oral sex, where people will put their mouths on each other's penis or vulva and clitoris. And that's sex. If its last name is sex. And then I would also say, you know, this is something you never have to do. It's a choice you can make. Some people like to have sex. Some people don't. It feels good to some people. It doesn't feel good to other people. but you're not old enough yet to be doing this. And so we're going to talk about it a lot. And so you feel really ready. And also if something happens that's sexual, it's not just parts and holes, me, right? It's not just parts and holes. It's touching, it's caressing. It involves a whole lot of different things. I love if its last name is sex. <laughs> that is an outstanding line that I'm going to quote you on for the rest of my life. Not yes. mine, my spouse. Oh my God, it's uh, I'm, so good. I'm quoting your spouse for the rest of my life. <laughs> surname, sex. <laughs> exactly. And what's your surname? Sex. sex. That is so good. I absolutely love that. Okay. So now we've got a really wonderfully inclusive, holistic definition of sex. You've had that conversation with a kid who you trust, who trusts you. Now you're ready. You've got a 10 or 11 year old and it's time to talk about porn. Set us up. Okay. So with the porn conversation, a couple of things, a, you absolutely have to have this conversation. So just so you know that, and what I would say is, and with these folks, much better to talk to them. You don't want to park them down and say, all right, we're going to talk about porn. Uh, You want to be doing talking when they're doing something else, when they're side to side, they're in the car, it's terrific time. And I like to have people set up the conversations by saying, Hey, you know, I was just thinking, ever heard the word porn? Do you know what, do you know, have you heard the word porn? Do you know what it is? And they'll say yes, no, or no, no, and get a little weird, most likely. Don't believe them if they say no, because probably they have, especially depending on what kind of community you live in. So then say, well, you know, we need to talk about it. So porn or pornography, it's videos of people having sex and doing sexual things. And it's not for kids. It is not safe for kids to look at. Their hearts, their minds, their bodies are not ready to see something like that. It can be really uncomfortable to see, you know, people can be doing all kinds of different things with their bodies and together. 
And then, you know, the other thing is that people's bodies don't look like that. Regular folks don't have sex like that. And they don't make those noises. And again, you know, it's really not for kids. Then you take a breath and a pause. And then you need to say, you know, here's the deal. If you ever see it, please tell me you will not be in trouble. Yep. You have to say that. You will not be in trouble. I just need to know to make sure you're safe and okay. And then a little advice about if you do see it, turn off the computer, iPad, whatever, and come find me. And again, you won't be in trouble. This happens all the time. This is why we use monitoring and filtering to make sure that you're protected online. I'm going to put an asterisk in that. As you all know from my book, Sex Talks with Tweens, there are asterisks about things. And that is one of the biggest ones. And then say, you know, do you have any questions? And, you know, you can also say, have you ever seen anything like that? And you have to be like, have you ever seen any? Like super (laughs) Super chill. chill. And even though you're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I can't believe I'm having this conversation. And then say, you know, we're going to be talking about it and whether you want to or not. We're going to go further down that conversation, but can we put a pin there and just shift the conversation up for an older kid who... We've been having the porn conversation all week in my house because we've been recording all these episodes about porn and because it's my house and we always have the porn I was going to say, it's all Cara talks about at the dinner it, table. It's like porn. my kids are... Porn and fentanyl. Done. Which you exactly. want to talk about tonight. Porn or fentanyl. <laughs> super fun. But I think just a quick word on the aging it up for a 16 or 17 or 18 year old who let us all acknowledge have all seen porn at this point. So it's not a have you, it's a, we know you have, but you can't really start the conversation there. So what's your way into that conversation to keep the subject evergreen in a household? Third person, third Mm -hmm. person. Hey, you know, I know kids your age see porn, they use porn and you know, well, in your case, you can just say, and you know how I feel about that. And if they don't know how you feel about that, you just like call it out. The nice thing about people who are over the age of like 13 is you do not have to screen like because they're going to see it all, hear Mm -hmm. it all, not do it all, fingers crossed. And just say, you know, I know kids your age see this stuff and, you know, what do you think about it? like people who use it. And you want to keep it in the third person because if you say, I know you've seen it and I'm pretty sure you're using it. And so here are the rules about that, right? Like, please don't, but they do. So just saying third person and then tossing in, you know, sometimes kids have trouble with this. They use it too much. It makes them feel really, you know, uncomfortable in their bodies. It worries them. Uh, Talking about how they use it. They're very weird, frankly. Some kids will just have the porn on and do their homework. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Breathe. Look at your eyes, Vanessa. Yeah. Wow. Wait, I did not know that. I did not know that. And I spend my life with teenagers in every corner. That is a new one for me. I Mm -hmm. feel like one of the things that's helpful in a lot of conversations with the older kids is acknowledgement that it's the why you're not okay with it. So it's, I just want you to be able to write the story of your own sex. I just don't want other people to tell you how you're supposed to have sex. Because first of all, how you're seeing it is probably not how I'm hoping your safe, healthy, loving sexual relationships evolve. But second of all, it's just not up to someone else to tell you how to be sexual. And also, and we don't pull the fear factor card very often here on the Puberty Podcast. And Amy, I imagine knowing you through your book and now on the episode, you don't either. We try to keep stuff like pretty upbeat and positive and, you know, affirming. But like, 
this is a moment where you can talk about how people get addicted to porn, how people cannot orgasm without porn, that they have trouble in their interpersonal sexual relationships because the porn that they are watching on a regular basis is more extreme in any number of ways. And so interpersonal sexual relationships don't bring them to orgasm in the same way. I mean, those are conversations I think not only can you have with older kids, you should have with older kids, even though it's really hard to talk about and it's really uncomfortable. And your kid is going to be like way under the dinner table by the time you're done having that conversation. Actually, I should say Cara's children requested that she please stop talking about porn at the dinner table. So they might be under the car seat or behind a bush while you're walking the dog, not necessarily under the dinner table. Um, (laughs) One thing you do, Amy, that I really appreciate is you bring in the emotional aspect of these kinds of conversations with kids in a really lovely way. And what you said earlier when you were talking about how you talk to a tween about porn is that your heart isn't ready to see it. Can you talk a little bit about that approach and how you weave in the emotional when having these conversations with kids? Because I think adults forget to include that stuff, but sometimes that visceral body stuff, that emotional stuff is a really great way in. So can you share a little bit about that approach? Yeah. I mean, I think we need to remember that sexuality is not just parts and holes, right? It is big, right? It involves puberty. Uh, It involves our like just interpersonal relationships and communication. And, you know, the message that we want our kids to get is that sex is good. Relationships are fun. Like this is a really healthy, wonderful part of life. So if you're starting there and that's your sort of value, which I think everybody wants their kids to have healthy relationships. Well, maybe they don't want to, and they want them to enjoy their sex lives. I think nobody wants to think about their kids' sex life, but that goes both ways. (laughs) So just like that attitude and this attitude of preparing you and preparing them. So including like pleasure, right? Like that's part of the emotional, physical, like you have pleasure in your body and then in your heart and your mind, right? If you're really connecting with your partner, it feels good holistically. The whole package feels good. So putting little things in there, like it should feel good to your heart and your body, like talking about consent. You should really have a full on yes. And your partner should have a full on yes. And just helping them understand that, you know, there is this emotional component. You have to talk about it, right? Just saying, don't do it until you're 30. And if you there's pregnancy that can happen, you must use birth control and condoms, condoms, condoms. Like, what's that? Yeah. What is that? Can we go down the consent road for a minute and talk a little bit about how those conversations sound when they're effective? First of all, consent does not start with sexual consent. We don't start there, right? So if you're not already doing this, start asking your kids if you can touch them before you touch them, like hug them. Can I have a hug? Can Mm -hmm. I have a high five? Because that establishes this idea that they can say no. So you need to do that with your kids. And that establishes the seed of consent with your partner. If you're parenting with someone or a friend, ask them first, like, hey, can I have a hug? And already have a deal that they're going to say no, Mm. not right now. So they see that modeling of no. You can also ask your kid when you know they're going to be like, 
no way, right? So then they get that opportunity and you say, no sweat, right? So you're establishing that this is, this is what consent looks like. And then when you're talking about sexual consent, you just say, hey, you know what? Your body is your body. You know, you have the right to say no or yes to whatever, any kind of touch. And when you're looking at those first sexual relationships, if that even includes like holding hands, or if you're fr- if you're intended whatever I don't know what to say about that um, you're intended like wants to go to the water park and you're not down you're like I don't want to do that and you don't like to do that you can say I don't want to do that and then watching your person's response so if they get pushy right if they get pissy if they do any of that like telling your kids that's a red flag they need to know that someone who is a good healthy person to be with they respect you. And they ask, right? Can I kiss you? Do you want to hold hands? So there's there's questions happening. And that is, again, a two-way street, right? You do that with your partner. You know, oftentimes we think about this in terms of heterosexual relationships, right? So the guy needs to be ta- asking, right? He needs to be asking. And what's happening now is that girls are more assertive, which is great. And don't quite know what they're doing because we're so heterosexist and we're so binary in terms of how we think about relationships still. So just making it really clear that it's okay to say no, it's okay to say yes. And then again, scenarios, right? Like that's we, why Jesus we, made TV. <laughs> we, we had a conversation in our house last night with our 17-year-old son about consent. And it was interesting. It came out of nowhere and something came up and I, his dad said, oh, and you'll always ask for consent. And He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, and you know, you'll always be expected to give consent. Yeah, yeah. This is not a one-way road. And he looked at me like, oh, mom, when do you think I was born? But it was great because it was such a moment of just, good, check that box. You know, we'll do that conversation 12 more times. But in order to break this gendered norm that we have, it is incumbent upon all of us to tell all of our children, regardless of their gender, that they are both expected to give and receive consent. And I have noticed in the middle school years that it's often the girls who are the ones seeking out a sexual involvement and the boys are the recipient of those offers. And I don't mean sexual like vaginal intercourse, but I mean some form of intimate touching. And so it's really important that we don't gender the sort of offense defense question because it goes all different ways. And in those younger years, when the girls are more developed physically and sexually sometimes. And emotionally. (laughs) Yeah. Well, always emotionally more developed. (laughs) Sorry, that wasn't fair. Forgive me. That was fair. I mean, Um, (laughs) it was also not fair, (laughs) but... Those conversations about consent should definitely start much younger and should not be gendered. And on that note, Amy, I want to talk about gender and the concept of gender. Cara and I just finished our book and we spent a lot of time on the chapter around gender identity. And it's complex and it's ever evolving. And I really appreciated how in Sex Talks with Tweens, you give really clear definitions and language and approaches to a topic that's very complicated for adults, mostly because we don't know what the hell we're doing and we have a lot of self-educating to do. So can we start with the way you would get into a conversation about gender 
with a kid? Because I just, I just love how you do it. Well, the first thing is that they know so much more about it than we do. And again, it kind of depends on where you live. I'm in Seattle, liberal, schmibral. So lots of kids are exploring their gender. So the good news is that it's easy to say, hey, what's going on with your kid, your friends and gender? And they'll say nothing, of course, because that's how they are often. <laughs> and then you can say, you know, I am just curious about what folks are talking about. And, you know, this is my understanding of gender, you know, like your gender identity is how you feel like on the inside. And you can just say, do you feel like I'm, I'm a woman, I identify, I'm cisgender. So I identify my parts are female and I identify as a woman. And say, so, and you can say, you know, do you feel like a, a girl? Uh, do you feel like a guy at all? And just have this sort of little gentle probing conversation. Are you talking about it? Don't expect them to give you a response. What you're doing is you're like, I'm interested. I'm here mm -hmm. for you. You can talk to me, right? It's a seed plant. And then we really need to educate ourselves. So I know that some folks don't know what cisgender means. And I just said what it means. Like I have, when I was born, people said they looked at my hoo-ha and they said, okay, she's a girl and gave me the gender of a girl. So we have our physical body. That's generally our sex. And then our gender is you know, generally speaking, boy or girl. And we know there are lots more genders now, or there always have been, but we have words for them. And it's hard for adults to separate out. Like, how do you feel like not like who you were told you are at birth? There are a lot of folks that don't feel like that. And so what we're seeing now, which is terrific, this expansiveness in terms of gender identity and gender expression, which is how you show up in the world, like I'm looking at you too, I'm guessing based on your hair and a variety of other things that, you know, you're showing up like women. So there's this expansiveness. And so now kids have an opportunity to look at and think about, well, how do I feel? Do I identify, you know, with the gender I was, I was given at birth? And my general rule of thumb is to be open, to be curious, to calm the F down about it, and to talk, you know, I know y'all know this, there are groups of kids, usually girls who are changing their genders and they'll talk about their sexual orientation. And you might be thinking, okay, all 11 of you can't possibly be, you know, trans or non-binary or, you know, gender fluid, but Hey, there y'all are. So the rule of thumb is you accept it. You ask them, what can I do to support you? And you believe them because with LGBTQ kids, their suicide rate is four times higher than the general population. So you cannot know. So the best thing for them is to say, I believe you. How can I support you? And then do your freak out on your own time. If you listen to enough of our episodes, you'll hear us preach the importance of air, particularly down there. Airing out body parts reduces sweatiness, stinkiness, and skin irritation. And it feels amazing to air it all out after a long day in tight, sweaty clothes. Which is why we created the Oom Short. Super soft, lightweight, with wide legs and a low crotch. All help air flow. Designed for all genders in all sizes, literally down to kids extra small and up to men's extra large. Everyone who wears them tells us they've never been so comfy. Get your shorts at myoomla.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is factors ready to eat meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. And you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order... Go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, Magnesium Breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, Magnesium Breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Amy, a generation ago, the hand wringing was if we sexually educate them, they'll start having sex. It feels like now the hand-wringing that we hear is if we ask them gender-probing questions, they will question their gender. 
can you help parents understand sort of how to ask questions without feeling that you're leading the witness? Because we know that conversation and education does not make for a kid who then does the thing in the conversation. We know sex education sexually educates kids. And frankly, they often have sex later. They feel empowered and emboldened. Help us with that in the gender conversation. It's kind of the same thing. And if you don't want to lead the witness, talk about it again in the third person, or you ask them about their friends, and then you show up as kind and open, right? And you know what? This is like, I was a punker. You're looking at me and you're like, how? And I was also <laughs> I totally shy. see it. <laughs> uh, so I was a punker. It's just, this is entirely different, right? So I just want to be very clear about that because gender is part of who we are, but it's a time of expansion and curiosity and exploration. And so sure they might, because you opened the door, they might not, you know, one of my friends, Joe Langford says, just hold it lightly and wait, they will settle down, settle into whoever they are. And sure, we're going to see more gender fluid kids. We're going to see more non-binary kids. We're going to see more and more and more of that and different sexual orientations as well. And it's a good thing. It's going to make our world better. Amy, will you contrast for our listeners, because this is a really complicated thing, particularly for our generation, the difference between gender identity and sexual orientation. What kind of language do you use when teaching people about that? So like I just said, gender is how you feel in your person about whether you're a guy, a gal, a mix, neither. That's one thing. I think people are pretty damn good with sexual orientation. My general definition of sexual orientation is who you want to bonk. <laughs> right? The who scientific you get hot for. Term. Right. Very, I'm very scientific. I said hoo-ha earlier. <laughs> I hope y'all know what I was referring to. So who you want to bonk? Who turns you on? And that is generally related to gender, right? So who you're attracted to is someone who shows up as a guy, a gal, something in between. And one of the things you're also going to be hearing from kids is that they're pansexual, which means they are attracted to the person. They don't really care about their gender. It's just the person. You'll hear bisexual, which means they're attracted to both genders, right? I'm air quoting. You'll hear asexual or ace, which means they're not attracted to anybody, to anybody. I feel like I'm forgetting one. So those are kind of the main, and then gay, right? We all know what that means. And, and lesbian. So, and het hetero, right? I don't need to find those. So again, they're going to tell you what they're going to tell you. And your job is to say, thanks for confiding in me. I'm happy to support you. Let me know what you need from me. And then they're going to be who they are. We hear a lot from parents whose kids don't want to engage in any of these conversations. No matter how supportive we are as parents, no matter how ready we are to take whatever they give us and thank them, there are kids who just will not open their mouths. What advice do you have? Well, my darling child told me that he would never ask me or his dad questions about sex. I can help with this. It was, of course, as a sexuality educator, a horror show moment. Uh, <laughs> so a couple of things. There is a myth that when our kids are ready to know about sex, when they ask us, it is not their job 
to ask us about sex. It is our job to fill them up. And so that's a myth that's been established by whatever. So that's not true. So if you have a kid like my child who was total pain in the ass, right? For me, it's really bad. Like people would be saying, oh, my kid tells me everything, Amy. Like they'll see me and like, my kid tells me everything. Thank you. That's all about you. And I'm like, yeah, lucky you. Um, You're like so, dagger through the heart. Thanks so much. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm glad it works. So with a kid that's really reticent, uh, just a handful of things, and you can do this with everyone, is you just say, hey, look, we have to talk about this. I get it. You're uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable. Life's uncomfortable. But here we go. So you just say that and you don't say anything else. And then you come back and you get them books and you watch shows with them and you point out moments like you're, I just watched Never Have I Ever. It's super delightful. And there's a lot of relationship and sex stuff that goes on. And so you say, hey, I loved it when that happened. Or what do you think when this happened? You're going to get some grunting. And then you just say what you thought right? So you're going to use the world around you, all that third person stuff. Hey, I was just thinking, hey, do you have any friends who so just say the stuff and then they can't close their ears. And, you know, hopefully if something comes up for them, they're going to confide in you. They might not. And so your job is just to talk about it. One other technique is to say, uh, all right, I got to talk to you about a sex thing. We can do it now, or we can do it later. They will always say later. <laughs> And, you know, I was with Milo and we're in the car and we're listening to NPR and they're talking about female circumcision. And I'm like, oh God, got to talk about that. So we get home and I said, hey, like a little later, I said, hey, I want to talk to you about a sex thing. We can do it now or do it later. And he's, of course, says later. The problem is if they say now, you need to be ready to roll, right? Yeah. They'll say later. So then you have to do it within 48 hours. So then we're on a bike ride the next day. And I'm like, hey, remember the sex thing? I said, now's the time. And so I explained what female circumcision is to him. And he had questions. I'm like, this is a miracle. And then we got home and that was it. And so use those kinds of strategies, warning them, using a timer, telling them they don't have to say a word, mm -hmm. talking to them when they're lucid. I know you know what that means, right? <laughs> which is always 9.30 at night, which is adult bedtime. So like watching them, uh, using their friends as an example, and then doing the best you can, right? My child appears healthy. He's in a relationship. He lives with his darling girlfriend, right? I did all the things. I did the best I could with his child who would not interact with me. <laughs> but, you know, that's what we're all going to do, right? That's what we're all going to do. You gave him the information. It wasn't always, as Car and I like to say, a mind meld or a kumbaya moment where you held hands and danced in the sunshine, but you gave him the information that he needed. And I think relieving adults of the pressure that it's always going to be this like mythically wonderful conversation. Sometimes it's just like, I have to give you this information. I'm now giving you this information. Do you have any questions? No. Okay. Then we're going to like cook the string beans. So right. I... <laughs> And sometimes they will say, you always ask me about, or you always tell me about, and that's their end to a conversation. I have a, a quiet son as well. And I'm always surprised when a certain topic gets nothing, 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 nothing. And then the 15th time is not me bringing it up. It's him bringing it up with me saying, you always say this, and I just have something to say about it. So they're clocking it. They're listening to everything we're saying. And by the way, they'll call us out on our inconsistencies too. Totally. That's a big one, right? So the second we're hypocritical, they're like, wait a second. I may not have engaged in those 25 <laughs> conversations, but I listened, you know? So it's, there's, there are many ways around 
it doesn't make it any easier to feel like you're being shut out when they literally shut the door, when they stand up and walk out in the middle of a conversation, when they go on their phone in the middle of a conversation. These are hard things. And I think it is okay as a parent to gauge when you call that out and when you don't, even as a non-parent, as the adult in their life, if they are being disrespectful, you can shut that down. Sometimes though, it's their way of saying, I'm done. I just, I need you to come back later. It's the later, right? Yeah. And watch their body language, right? If that phone comes out, you say, we'll talk about this later. You don't try to engage in them because that's, yeah, it's disrespectful, but also it's disrespectful of you to pursue them. That's right. Especially when this topic, which is uncomfortable, it's uncomfortable, especially for the kid that doesn't really want to hear it, even though right. they the need to hear it. The fantasy is they're going to be totally into the conversation. None of them are totally into the conversation with you. Like we all, the three of us on this podcast have the shared experience of being the, not the parent who gets to float into a room and we are much more interesting to our audience because we are not the person who is doing the primary caretaking. And sometimes we will say the same thing that the primary caretaker has said 500 times and it's never landed for the kid. And when we say it, because we're the complete stranger, it totally lands. And that is so annoying because in your own house, right? It's, it's like, but wait, strangers listen to me. No, it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. I mean, I talked to Milo. I mean, one of the things about showing up as an open, askable, sex educating parent is that it has a trickle down effect, right? So your kids' friends are going to see you as a safe adult. They're going to know that they can talk to you. And if you say, like I said to Milo's friends, you know what? If you ever have anything going on, I won't, like, unless it's a safety issue, please tell me, I'll help you, whatever. And so that I had them confide in me. And even though, you know, who would not confide in me, (laughs) they would talk to each other, right? So I think that's another thing, you know, for me, when we are willing as parents to take this on, right, we can show up in our peer groups as a person who's like, I'm motivated, I'm doing this thing, watch me, I'll help you, right? I'll help you. And then, like I said, I'll help your kids. So one thing that we had going on in our family was that one of Milo's best friends, his dads were great. We were all really good friends. And and at one point, you know, we told the kids, you can ask crossfire, right? You can ask them anything. We all had similar values. And so, you know, Milo was set up to talk to them, to those dads, and their kids were set up to talk to me and Carrie, well, mostly me. And so that was also another like tactic, right? I have no idea, <laughs> right? And if you have that agreement with the kids, you need to be really clear. You can ask me th- anything, you can tell me anything, but if I feel like it's a safety issue, we're going to need to talk with your parent. Right. Sometimes the advice and guidance and support doesn't come from the parent. It comes from other trusted adults. And that's wonderful. It's amazing when kids have more than one or two trusted adults in their lives, more places to go. So Amy, we like to wrap with what we call a practical puberty takeaway. I wish we had like a snazzier title, but we haven't come up with one yet. You got alliteration going for you. I know. I mean, we're sort of like in love with alliteration. So We'll let you go last because we're springing this on you. And it can be something that we talked about today that you want to highlight or something we didn't get to talk about that you want to make sure our listeners hear. And I will start, unless Kara, you have a burning desire to go first. I have a burning desire. Okay, Kara, start. (laughs) 
like a UTI style burning desire. Um, (laughs) If sex is a last name, then it's sex. You know, there's so much we talked about today that's so deep and so meaningful, but that one light line is everything. And I'm going to carry it with me. I loved it. Yeah, it's a great way to talk about sex in an inclusive way, Amy. I love it. Mine is that when you talk to kids about hard, complex, scary topics, not to forget to talk about the emotional side of them. So in your example of talking about kids shouldn't watch porn, partially because their hearts might not be ready for it. I really appreciate that framing. So I'm going to carry that with me. Amy, what's yours? Well, you two are, I love hearing that. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm going to talk about mine in a second, in a second, but yeah, thank you. It's just always cool for me to hear what resonates with folks. So thank you. And so mine is this, which is something I did not talk about. One of the best things you can do for yourself is to think and talk about your hopes for your kids. What are your hopes for your kids when it comes to their sexuality, their relationships? What do you hope for them? What do you want for them? And I Tell folks, you know, the average age people get busy and do something sexual is 19. So we're not so much with parts and holes anymore, but there's like serious sexual business going on. Well, maybe we are. Last name is sex is sex. So what do you hope for them? Like you can talk about how long you hope they'll wait and all those different things. So that's the thing that I think is one of the most important things you can do for yourself because it's motivating, right? It's motivating. And then the second piece or that's related is what are your values about sexuality? Like, what do you think about kids having sex when they're 14? I'm a big no on that one. But where are you in terms of like, what? how do you talk about masturbation? Do you think masturbation is a good thing? I am 14,000 thumbs up, especially for people with clitorises. The people with penises, they don't need any help. So like thinking, what are your hopes? What are your values? And what happens when you think about this is that you develop some roots that'll keep you more settled when you talk about the things that are hard, like talking about oral and anal sex is kind of rough, right? So if you realize, okay, I want my child, like one of my hopes is that they really understand consent, right? They have it in their bones and they're empowered to do that. Those are kind of my core, get the party started thing. And then my last thing is just, I mean this lovingly, get over yourself and just start. And I have to asterisk that, (laughs) but some folks just can't because of sexual trauma, because of their life for whatever reason. So if that is you, then find someone who can do this. Find someone who shares your values. And But most folks are capable. And so you are capable. And no one's going to die and no one's going to throw up. And at the end of the day, you're going to look back. Well, they're going to look back and say, thank God that was uncomfortable and they did that for me. Yeah, I think that sometimes there are certain conversations that people just feel like they can't do it or they can't do it on their own, or they can't do the first one, or whatever the case may be. And sometimes we need a stand-in for ourselves, someone we trust, someone who reflects our values, who we know will be able to have this conversation with our kid. It's okay. Like Some people couldn't teach their kids how to throw a baseball, and some people couldn't teach their kids how to swim, and they found other people to do that. This is the same thing. These are things that we want our kids to know. It helps keep them joyful and safe. And like, sometimes we need help and that's, that's also okay. And there's amazing help in your book. (laughs) Thank you. 
Thank you. Yeah, it was really fun for me to write it. It's all just, uh, can I talk about it? Am I allowed? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's called Sex Talks with Tweens, What to Say and How to Say It. So over the years, people just to say, tell me what to say. Just tell me what to say. So it's, I don't know, like 90% scripts, like on all the different things. And then there are, of course, tips and some other things around how to have difficult conversations with other parents. And there are lots of asterisks where I, you know, generally will rant about something. Your footnotes are amazing. Oh, thank you. They were the most fun for the whole thing. I mean, anyway, the other thing about it is that you can just open the book and say, I got to talk to you about anal sex. I have no idea what to say and read it. It's fine. It's totally fine. Your language and your writing is so much fun. And we told Amy before we started recording, but I'll tell our listeners also, Cara and I had the sidebar. We're like, what if she's a really funny writer, but like not funny on the podcast? Like, what if it's like, oh, she leaves it all on the page? Thank God, Amy, you are as vivacious and funny and illuminating in person as you are in your wonderful book, because it's such a treat to have someone who brings such life and levity to such complex topics. It's wonderful. Thank you. That just makes me all chilly and super happy. And I really appreciate you having me on the show. Super fun. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at the puberty podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at the puberty podcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out myoomla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.